Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Women's Running Stories. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am the host and producer. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We are doing a cross-promotion with the podcast Starting Line 1928. They are an oral history project documenting the lived experiences of women distance running pioneers. So we are featuring one of their episodes And it is a great one. But before I get into that, some things to know about Starting Line 1928. It is run by a team of freelance historians who interview women trailblazers in the sport. They have a special emphasis on women of color and others whose voices haven't been heard as often. The women that they feature are from the 20th century, and they chronicle individuals who have paved the way for a post-Title IX world. Their guests have included Olympians, steeplechase pioneers, ultra-running champions, coaches, and those who have fought hard for women to have new opportunities in the sport. They are the proud recipient of the 2022 Tracksmith Fellowship, which, of course, we love because we love Tracksmith. I personally run for the Boston Hares Tracksmith running team, and we always appreciate the support they give the running community. One of the things I really love about these interviews is that they go really in-depth, so you get a lot of really great history and personal insights, and they really get into the details of these women's lives and what inspired them to be the pioneers that they became. And of course, in many circumstances, that was not the intent when they started. And that is the case with the woman who is featured in the episode that we chose to run. That is Bjorn Ostrom-Smith. She is a pioneer in ultra running and is best known for winning the Western States 100 miler, which takes place in California every year. She won in the early 80s, 1981, 82, and 83, and she did not start running until she was 35 and she'd already had two kids. In all, she became a mother of three. And I'm just going to read a little quote here from Bjorn. She said, I was just a stay-at-home mom with small children who one day stuck the kids in a baby buggy with groceries underneath it, and started running the streets. I needed to get out of the house. I think that's something we can all feel, that running at its core is always just a great way to get out and move your body. A couple last items before we get to the episode. You can get more information about the women in these episodes at startingline1928.com, and that's 1928, the numbers. There are accompanying articles and photos about the women that are featured on the podcast, so go check that out. You can also follow on Instagram at startingline1928 or Twitter at startline1928. So yeah, enjoy this episode and go subscribe to Starting Line 1928. We love working with other like-minded podcasts and, of course, the women behind Starting Line and our podcast. Well, we share the mission of amplifying the stories of women runners. So I love everything that they're doing, and I really appreciate the cross-support. It's really nice to work with other shows, and the women behind this podcast are fantastic. One last note from me is happy holidays and happy new year. 
I hope you have a wonderful holiday, and we will be back with more women's running stories in the new year. And now, please enjoy this episode of Starting Line 1928. I'm Kara Hawkins-Jedlicka with Starting Line 1928. In this oral history, we are talking to Bjorg Ostian-Smith. She is a women's ultra running pioneer who is best known for winning Western states multiple times. Her conversation covered quite a bit. Everything from how her sense of adventure led her to trail running to making it work as a mom to get her training in and the support of her family along the way. This is a great listen, so I hope you enjoy it. What first got you into running? I was a stay-at-home mom with three, two kids, and eventually I had three. And it, and it was really logistics. I was 35 years old. I'd never taken my first step. And I would love to play tennis, but then you have to have children on the court and, and you have another mother who's not working. That's too difficult. And then my mother sent me a baby buggy from Europe. And then I stuck two kids in it and the groceries underneath and I started running the streets. And for exercise, that's, that's what I did. And the first, I, you know, I ran the neighborhood and I did, there was some fun run. I did a three mile fun run. And I took second and I thought, oh, next month I will do first. Never did. I'm not the short distance runner. I am a rotten middle distance runner. And so they had a marathon just where I was running around in circles. I, I don't want to run three miles. I ran my marathon. I, I did it at 345. And, and as a matter of fact, that first marathon I ran, uh, I came to the start line with my husband and two kids on tow, and men came up to my husband and said, she's not running, is she? And my husband said, yes, she is. And they said, no, she's not. And they tried to pull me off. And my husband was, I had uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, he had brought a bicycle so he could put a one-year-old on the back of a seat. And so he, he had to use that bicycle between the men and me so, because they were go wasn't going to let me run. And so I hid in the bush bushes until the starting gun went off and I ran my first marathon. And uh, so that's what made me start just to kind of stay in shape. Obviously, I was I was a tomboy. I was brought up with boys because there weren't any girls when I was growing up. So I did what they did. And uh, so I had no intention of becoming a runner. It just happens, happened. So I did. And I, there were some people I was, you know, got around with. But we would go out and run short and, and then and that was fine. And in in my where we lived, there was, I had three small children. So now how do you get your training in? So I had to get out at five o'clock in the morning. And there was a little man who would go and run with me and says, now there's light enough that you're safe. And I said, okay, so I'd run. And then the, the local police were there and said, there she is. And they would have said, she's fine. And then after that one, there were other people in the community making sure I was safe because I had to be home uh, for my husband to go to work because he would bicycle to and from work and I had to go home and take over the children's and uh, so that's how I started and actually to tell you the truth and in my early 20s I was diagnosed with uh, arthritis and uh, so I expected to be in a wheelchair I was in such a bad shape and my first child my 
Dora Benke was born. And so then I, I'm sorry, but I'd be damned. I refuse to give in to pain. And so I would go out and I would walk for about five or six miles and cry my eyes out because it hurt so badly, but then it will go away. And from that is where I started my running because I could uh, then be without pain for about weeks, months, even years. And my doctor would say, if I could get uh, and my patients to do 10% of what you do, then we'll throw the medication away. And so that's what has kept me in running. I started running from, from there. And, you know, I'm, and I'm a loner. So I would go out and run and I have never, ever been injured. And, and I think that is because I was DNA tested. It turns out I'm a purebred Viking. I'm 100% Western Norwegian. And I think I was told by a wrestler or a weightlifter that the, the Vikings were very strong and maybe I have natural strength. I didn't work for it. It just, there it is. So, and I am mentally fierce. I don't give and I be damned. And it's me against me, not me against anybody else. How can I be better? And that's how, how come. And then I got into a group that, that they would say, come on, let's go and run distance. And I said, no, I'm not running. After the marathon, I'll never run again. And of course, the following week, you're signing up for the next race. It's, it's one of those things that I think you are addicted to. I don't know. I'm addicted to feeling good. And it made me feel good. And that's what I did. So what kind of made you get into ultras? You said you ran, oh. you started with the marathon distance. What did you do after that? Yeah, well, I call the marathon distance, middle distance. That's the middle distance for us. I was, there was a, a group of people that came out of those three milers that would say, come on, let's go and run on the weekend. And I, I said, okay. So we went, went out and they started doing trail running and I did my first 50 and it was the absolute worst conditions ever. It was windy, it was February, it was pouring rain, it came in sideways, and we were re- running on the levee of the, Sac- uh, the Sacramento River. And it, it was, it went from Marysville to Sacramento. And it was so windy that it was actually blowing, blow, blowing me off the levee and I have to climb back up again. And uh, then I would try and find a big man to lay behind to, to kind of break the wind. And then there were a couple of us women who were trying to break for each other. Well, it so happened, we, we came in first and they said, well, somebody has to decide who gets a trophy. And I said, no, we got two trophies and they wouldn't give it to us. But anyway, that was the first 50 I ever did. And I said, never doing that again. And of course that group, I said, let's go, there's a hundred mile. And I said, over my dead body, I'm not doing a hundred mile. And they said, oh, you will, because she said, you, if we go point to point, you will do it. If you run around the circles, you won't. So we will take you to, to, to Squaw Valley and it's five o'clock in the morning start. You will be asleep and the gun will go off and we will just push you and go, so, go home. And, I, I, and you can stop when you get to Auburn. I live in Sacramento. Just, you stop when you get to Auburn. And, and of course I did. And then I took second and I was only two minutes and 11 seconds behind first. 
I said, damn, no. And so then I, I didn't know what I was doing. I put one foot in front of the other running, right? And then my, my family didn't know what they were doing either. So, and then the following three years, I won Western States and then took again second and then the fourth year. So I did 11 Western States 11 times uh, consecutively. The 10th year had renal shutdown and they didn't know what that was. And, and it took me a year to recover to recover, but I get me the first uh, gold buckle for women, which is 10 times under 24 hours. So I'm a, I'm a trail runner. So th that's where my running is. So, cause I did read about your first Western States and it was so close, right? What really made you come back and keep coming back to that distance and to that race? I didn't know any better. I mean, I did one and then I actually, the 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 second I think it was the second year, I I I I had won the American River 50. It was a 50 miler here in Gulf Sacramento to Auburn, and I had won it. And the following weekend, that's when we started Western States training. We go up to the Western Trace, and one of my pacers had uh, said he would come out and run with because it's too dangerous. I run into mountain lions, bears, a rattlesnake has struck at me. Oh yeah, and so you can fall off the the trail because it's it can be a I mean, 700 feet straight down and they will never find you. So, I mean, and on trail and it turns out since I've had a lot of ballet, I'm a downhiller, but especially is technical downhill because the, the ballet has given me balance, it's given me the timing and the agility and I had no fear. You can't have fear on a downhill, you will go down or you will destroy your, your legs. So, you know, I was out there and... I had run into, come to, to what I call the Bucking Bridge in Devil's Canyon. And because it's a, it's a bridge that, the hang bridge, and it, it moves like it bucks. Because it's wonderful. I love that bridge. And um, so and on, a, on a wall of ice and snow, about 20 feet up, there stood a man. And he said, hi, Bjorn. And I said, who are you? And he says, I'm Bruce LaBelle from Davis. And I said, never heard of you. I'm very good at making enemies friends. Nah, no, no, not so much. And he says, can I go back with you? And the peso that I had uh, brought up with me, and he said, you've run me into the ground. Go back with, with this gentleman, with Bruce. And then uh, I will get myself back to my car. And I said, okay. So Bruce and I, I didn't know anything about him. He didn't really know what I could do. But it turned out we're both downhillers. And he was not going to give in to me, and I was not going to give in to him. So we hauled back, and we came back together. We are running canyons, which means two, two and a half, three miles down, and three miles back up again in, the, in those canyons. And and there are lots of rocks and roots, and you can pick your toes, and where you can go down. And but anyway, came to to the to back to our cars, and he turned to me and he says. I need a good runner to, to train with. Can we train together? And because he said good runner, not good female. If I said good woman runner, but I said no. But since you are a good runner, then we're equal. And then now you will let me have it so that I can be the best that I can be. Because, you know, I, I otherwise I feel I cheat myself. What can, what can I do? And it's the same thing when, when I did races. If somebody beat me, good for you. To, back to the drawing board. Tomorrow is another day. And so, you know, I, that's that I could be. So we became partners. And that's, so I did it year after year until I took the gold buckle for women, the first gold buckle, 10,000 or 24. 
and and I did eight overall with 18 hours, 18.23, set eight overall. So, and, but we just, that's just something we did. And I did it, train six months out of the year. The next, the other six months, I needed to go into somebody else's fishbowl because I mean, physically and mentally, because remember we did, I did back-to-back fifties. -back on Saturday, I do a 50 mile, I'll go back on Sunday, do another 50. Because the idea is that Bruce is a, a PhD chemist, so he's a scientist, and I have a scientific mind too. What are you going to put your body through? You better prepare it. That was all that I always felt like. So I go out uh, and, and get tired on the on Saturday on the first fifty, and on, and then the second on Sunday I'll be tired. Well, that's what it's going to be like in the second fifty on a hundred miler. So you need to get your body physically trained and mentally trained and internal organs trained. And obviously in running and competing, 90% is here in the head. You, you, it, I said, if, if we all trained equally, because people said you're so talented and I said, if we all train equally, it's 99% uh, in your head, it's, 5% luck and 5% is talent. I said, if we are so talented, why do I have to work so hard and blood, sweat and tears? You can't, you have to pay your dues. It doesn't come, nothing is given to you easily. So with that kind of being said, it sounds like you had a pretty good training partner. Did you ever really have a coach? No. No, I, we, no, we, we were out, our, our thing was really, I said, how can we go out and kill ourselves in training? Because I don't want to be dead during a race, so I might as well kill myself in training. That's what I wanted to do. So, because I, and then now that I mentor and train ultra athlete, I go, they say, oh, it's so tough. And I said, look, I've done the double traverse of the Grand Canyon. It's bigger than any of these hills. And they said, and after that one, there's always the Mount Everest, so don't, don't complain. So, and, and my motto was always, you cannot quit until you are unconscious or dead. So unconscious, we may be able to bring you back dead, maybe that's it. But you, you, it's, it's again, it's a mental thing. And, I, and again, I don't give because then I would cheat myself. So what type of mileage were you doing? Oh, I couldn't probably do 200 miles a week. I would, I mean, this is what I did when my, 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 my children, we had an agreement. Okay, we'll take you out in the baby buggy and then we'll go, first we'll go to bakery, uh, to, the, to the bakery and you can get the, any donut you want. So, and, and one donut was 15 miles. So I would never put my shoes on for anything under 15 miles. So my son was said, mom, is it a one donut day or is it a two donut day? Two donut day is 30 miles. So that's how we measured it, depending on how, how I felt that day. So, you know, and I didn't, also I did not, I had I my own training. I did not, I hated track. I did not go to track. I don't do track. But what I did, I, I have a musical background, classical music from the age of six. So I would put earphones on and I listened to the old Walkman. I listened to music and, and the, the old Walkman had, a, had an antenna that went up. So I was wearing that. And one day I was, a little old man was sweeping the driveway and he was saying, lady, I'm 76 and I talk to myself, but you're awfully young. And my son uh, spoke up and said, mom's talking to ET. And so, and so the, we, I used the music where I would 
whatever beat it had, my foot would have to hit and I could double time it, quadruple time it because I knew music. So that's how I do speed work or pace work or whatever I did. And then, I mean, it, it, it's much easier on your head than walking around on a track or listening to that clock beat. And then for as far as training for the accuracy on the technical downhill, I would find an old railroad track that wasn't using and all those railroad ties were all uh, askew, uneven, missing, and we're not. And I would hit uh, on the music, on the beat, on the on each tie, and they are uneven, and, and so it's a technical downhill, it's uneven. And there was a story uh, in, in a magazine written, I don't read magazines about Western states and look at bloody feet and people say, you know, because men said, you know what, all those stories, why I failed, that's always written by men, never by women. Women go back to the drawing board and, and say, how can I change? But anyway, I, there was a man during the Western States one year, and I, I read it in a magazine, and it says, I was going, there was a doctor, and he says, my wife didn't want me to, to run training. And so, I, you know, well, I am mother with three kids. I have to figure it out, figure it out for yourself. I don't make excuses. I don't do excuses. And so anyway, so he's, he's right in the magazine. I was going up to the monument out of Squaw Valley, and he says, and I'm passing Bjorg, and he's saying, gee, what's all this big hoopla about her? I'm going to have a good time today. And so we get over the top, and then there was a traverse downhill across the, the, the mountainside. And, and there, was a, there was about a pace line of about eight to ten, 10 people. And I'm coming up on them, I'm saying, trail please. And they keep chugging. And you cannot pass because the trail is fairly deep and there's so rocks and, and trees and we're around, you can't get around them. <clears throat> so I called uh, trail please and, and they keep chugging. And I said, trail please. And I keep doing third time, I'm saying, trail, please. I'll tap you on the back heel and you will go down. And the whole pace line jumped off the trail to the side and I passed. I kept going and, and a few more miles and up for another pace line. And a guy says, hello, Bjorg. And I didn't know who it was. And he introduced the guys in the pace line. One of the names, only name I recognize was the defending champion, male defending champion. And they said, are we running too slowly for you? And I said, yes. And the whole pace line jumped off the trail and I passed. And a few miles later, they came up on me and I said, am I going too slow for you? And they said, yes. And I, I went off the trail for them and I passed. That is the etiquette of the trail runs. And so I read in a magazine, this guy who I, who I wouldn't let me pass. Well, he, he didn't finish. But he described, he took nine women, 10 women, and totally described them physically like, like a, the, there was one lady who was little and cute. Well, she is trying to break 30 hours and we are trying to break 20 hours. And I was described as a large woman careening down the hill. He had never seen a technical downhiller. That, that means because I said to Bruce and I told him the story and he says, he said, you know what? I remember so many times running behind you into Devil's Canyon 
and you were so light on your feet. You were like you didn't even touch. You were skipping down. I said, yeah, I, I maybe three quarter uh, uh, rhythm because you have to know you, there may not be room for more than your toe. And then you don't know what, what roots and rocks are going to be loose. You could break an ankle or you twist. And then when that weight really comes down, you better make it somewhere solid because there's a lot of weight that's going to come down on it. So anyway, so that's that's they don't know what they're doing so so did you run into a lot of kind of overt sexism like that when you were running when i when i started it's what and it, it's very interesting when i did my first marathon the people who who were put it on were the people that put on that three miler that i was running so they started calling my husband and they said, can she run 26.2 mile? My husband says, we don't know. She's out there, see if she comes home. And so, and, and they would call three times a week and they would call every day, never to me. They would call him, can, you, can she do it? So, and again, people would come, men would come to my, my, to my husband's he was in the garage or garage door open and he says my wife is sitting in the car would you she would like you to thank your wife for running for them and my husband says well she doesn't run for you she runs for herself but go in and talk to her and the husband said oh no they can't do that so there was this thing and it it must be I, I never growing up I never knew that you weren't allowed there was a restrictions or something. I did what all the boys did, what everybody else did. That's what I did. I was a high jumper. I would have preferred to play tennis, but you know, that's just what I did. And so it was a shock to me to come to the US and find out that it wasn't okay. I mean, I, I was out one running one day with their babies in, it was raining and whatnot, and a little old couple in their car stopped and they said, you have been home, we saw you two hours ago, and I said, no, and they said, don't you know, as a mother and wife, you're supposed to be home and cooking and cleaning, and so I went home and I told my husband, and he said, did you kill them? I said, no, I let them live, and he said, generous of you, so I mean, he was always support me. What had happened also during all that training, because my, my husband was a cyclist. My children were also into ballet and, and other sports, swimming and whatnot. And so with all the time weekends, I was gone because 50 miles back to back. And on the week weekdays, and I always train seven days a week, still do. I often run seven days a week. And so I, I come home one day after training and they were met me at the front door and I'm going, uh-oh. So they, they said, we had a meeting while you were gone. And I said, okay, so what happened? They said, well, we looked at because of time. We looked at ourselves and, and saw how we were doing as our competitor versus you were doing at yours. We rated us. And it turns out that you are doing better against your competitors than we are doing against ours. So we are going to give up our training and our things so to support you to do whatever you feel that you need. And so they have always stood behind me. So I, again, I was a loner and, and I would come out of the woodwork to run and then I would go back into the woodwork again. And, and so for those long ones, I trained with Bruce. And then one day my husband came up to me and he says, okay, he said, six months out of the year, I don't see my wife. I come home from work and she runs off with Bruce. So he said, in order to see my wife, then I decided I'm going to do the same thing that you do. So, and that was, he said, it, it was in the 
Paul. He said, I just signed up for West Coast And I said, I'm a Bruce. And I said, are you out of your mind? You're never taking a step. And he says, I, he, I, we knew he had a cardio, but he never taken a step. And so he said, he said, train me. And we go, we won't wait for you because we are going for the, the top places. And then he says, well, race day, I'll be ready or I'll be dead. So train me. And we said, we can't afford to wait for you. And he said, okay. And it was only apparently one time that maybe the first time we forgot him. And, and we, when you have finished a 50 miler, then your body is famished and you're looking for calories. And so we were apparently holding a car, went to the closest McDonald's and, and the French white with grease on the side to, to get easy fast calories into us. And uh, then we go, oops, we forgot him. We had better go back and get him. But, you know, he stayed with us and he did he two Western States and he has two silver buckles. He finished in the 22 mile range, two hour range. So, I mean, again, he we don't give excuses. We just, you know, that's what we do. But and and in, in racing, there have been, for instance, race like Aptos Creek Marathon. That's that's a trail marathon, 13 miles up and 13 miles down up, up on the mountain. And I knew I had to do it on the downhill. That's a, there was a woman in front of me and she was from Reno, which means there's no air. So when she came down this way, she said, whoa, you, I can breathe. And she was a track and fielder. Anyway, so I'm coming down the hill and I am uh, a man in front of me, he won't pass. And he says, no woman is going to pass me. So I'm, I'm sitting there and, and, and I, am, I know I can see her in front of me. And so there is a man who comes laying behind me. And there was another guy who laid behind me. And so they sandwiched me and they asked for trail and the guy got off and we, and we sped through. That's, he said, well, that's the only way you're going to beat me or... We have people who are running a 50 mile here, American River 50, and you know they, they they come up on men come up on the and they lay and as a trail runner I, I run with my elbows out because I stare with my elbows yeah and and also that you can open my lungs I can when I get my elbows into my side it collapses my lungs I can't get air in. And so he, we were running and, and he was saying, I like your, your pace, but he's le right on my elbow and I can't move my arm. And I'm crossing a crate to the other side of the street, the same thing. And I said, leave me alone, just leave me alone. And we came and he would just wouldn't let me go. And so we came to a, a crossing and he said, well, this is the way it is. And I knew he was wrong, but I let him go wrong because he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave me alone. I knew the trail, I knew where it went, but anyway, it was kind of mean on me, but you know, it, it just, but I had, the thing is I had men that gave me a very hard time because, but then on the other hand, there were men who really helped me. So it, you get kind of stuck kind of in between, but to me, the men, the top men, and when Bruce told me a couple of years ago, and he says, when I, ask you if we could train together as a training partner. I had checked out your race results to make sure that you were good enough to go with the top men. I, I mean, so many decades later, but yeah, that's what he did. But it was a wonderful relationship. And and now that, that people come up and ask me for advice on, <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't understand people who, 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 have, who are now in Western States and, and they're training 50 miles a week to do 100 miles in one day. That, to me, that is insanity. And, and you can imagine the kind of stresses that you put on your body. 
I mean, the first thing, when the first thing my body says, okay, it wants to shut down, what departments do you shut down? You're gonna to have to get blood to your brains and your extremities. First thing they go is digestion. Now you're talking, you can't take liquids in. You can't take food in. So then, then you shut down and you, you could kill yourself. And that's what I now state take, take urine tests of, of the runners. Now they didn't do it when we, they weighed us and, and took our blood pressure and whatnot. And, you know, if you've lost 10% of your, of your body weight, they'll take you out. And the one year that I had, that I had renal shutdown at the finish line, I put on 20 pounds. Do you think something is wrong? It took me two weeks to get rid of all the liquid after my kidney started, work, started working again. Yeah. I mean, one year I ran west of state and the rattlesnake struck at my calf at 90 miles. <laughs> I run and that's all about be, being mental right like you have yeah. that a rattlesnake yeah. strikes at you so you're I, almost I, done you just have yeah, to go so I right asked the, the top doctor and I said so what would have happened he said you know what we can't get to you because out on the trail on that trail either by helicopter or by horseback that's it you can't we can't get to you so he said you have to bring me the, the snake and we don't know how much poison it gave in and we have to have the medication antivenom on ice and we can't do that so and your veins are wide open he said you'll be dead I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, like, well, I'm, I'm glad you finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? But I always felt that, that women, when I was raising, women did not support women. Men supported me, women did not. So I was lucky to have the men that would, uh, that would help me and you know, show me how to train because I didn't know. You just kind of, you know, figured it out as you went along. And it, it just so happened to, I was successful, you know. Well, you probably inspired a lot more after you. I mean. I, I hope so. And I hope, you know, they inspire other women to come out of the woodwork and do whatever it is. Because I said, you know, because I said, you are addicted to running. And I said, I'm addicted to feeling good, whatever that is. And I tell my doctor, I, I said, the doctor, you get no money from me because I mean, I'm so healthy. And I said, my dentist has all my money, but not the doctor. And so, uh, but you know, it's, it's, if eating and drinking will make me feel as good as I'm doing when I am working out, I'll give up running and keep eating and drinking, but it doesn't. So, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel good and you and you're healthy, it's which, you know, what, to me is important. So this is kind of maybe an unrelated question, but okay. what, what were trail running shoes back um, in the 80s? Oh, like? I, was, I was sponsored by Nike and my, oh, my, even to this day, I'm constantly fighting trail shoes because to me, a trail shoe is a, a flat shoe uh, with, with a zero or four, or four millimeter heel drop. Because and and because I want to use my feet and and it's interesting I and this is gonna sound horrible but I I look at people on the trail and they are and I working the 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 hoka and I and I can see it because the trail is banked it goes up on the side and I see them put their foot on the side and then you are trying to to they slide sideways can you imagine what that does to your knees I said trail is soft. So I, I said, I always want to put my, find my foot when I pick it up where I left it. So you don't fight that it slid somewhere else. And the trail shoe is hard because you really need a good 
heel cap that would hold your heel and your arch so that when you are hitting the downhills that it doesn't slide forward, the toe doesn't slide into the front of the, 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 the toe cap. And uh, so you would love to, and I always wanted a, a shoe that was fairly tight like a slipper so, I, so that I could control it well and, and flexible enough that, that they, you use your feet so that you, you put your foot down and the last thing you do is kick off with your toes that then you can get the forward move, movement. And uh, I, I, I teach people how to run downhill because that's technique, depending on the, the terrain on the downhill, but I can teach downhill to a certain amount. You are certain things you are born with in that, but most of the time balance is wrong. They put the balance in the wrong place. And uh, so I, when I train a mentor, men, mentor, I will not let anybody run with anybody else. You can go out together, but you cannot run together because then you are going to be run with the person who is the slowest. And also you are, you, are, you are talking to each other. So your balance goes to the wrong place because you go back trying to hear what they say. Balance is wrong. They, they don't know that they're running from their hips. I know. I was trying to think about when I run downhill, what that looks like. No, I can see what you're saying. It is a lot of balance work. Yes, it is. Because, I mean, somebody says, my friend told me when I go downhill just to bend forward in my head. And I said, yeah, you'll land on your face. And, you know, and, and so it, it's, it comes from the hips and you have to let it roll and get you move. You, you're going to, the, the balance is on the ball of your foot. I said, if you think you are going to land on your toe, your balance is probably on the right place. Because remember when you have that, that big heel, that the big heel in the back, it forces you to put your whole foot down. Now, when, when, you, when you hear me run, you hear me, shh, shh, it slides. And then the movement is in your knee, it goes down. I, I keep telling people, it's like, if you're looking at, at the basketball that, that you push, that you hit the floor, and it, it goes down to the bottom, it sinks in and then it comes back. That is what the movement of when you run that protects your knees because otherwise it's just up and down, up and down, stomp. No, you go down and you sink and then then movement. It's like a circular movement when you come back up again. And it, and I said so. So when your balance is forward on the front part of your foot, then you use your natural uh, gravity helps you down rather than having to work so hard. I said I fall down the hill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So besides shoes, were there any other pieces of equipment that you you had like a particular affinity to or like kind of your oh, favorite thing yes, to use? Clothing. Well, we did, well, it's funny. I am not built like, I'm built like a woman, I have curves. And so they did not make clothes for women. So, I mean, I'm not flat chested naturally. So what do you do? I mean, I ran braless and, and you know what they said, um, they would they would have these uh, singlets that were cotton and then they had a stripe in the middle. They said, oh, we will just take a men's shirt and then we will just sew up the armholes and women's clothing. No, it isn't. It's the same thing with women's shoes. 
women and men have different lasts. The, the, the artist is in a different place between men and women's shoes. So when they used to say, oh, women's shoe, oh, just take a small man's shoes. I said, so have you ever told a man to, to have a large woman's shoe? No, they never say that. It's, it's always, we, so, I mean, it, it, sports bra was way before sports bra, and you couldn't have a regular bra because that would, would, would cut in, and, and, I mean, you, you would have bleeding, and you would have, you know, sweating into it, and it just, yes, they weren't working close for women. I was thinking at one time starting in a whole line just sort of for, for women, but now fortunately they have sports bras and, and shorts that fit women. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was a great problem, both shoes and clothes. They didn't do it for women. So how did you get that Nike sponsorship at that time? Oh, because I had, I had one at Western States. And, and so they, they gave me whatever the trophy. And I said, what I really would like to have a sponsorship. And I said, okay, that's after my, I think after my first win or first, maybe first second, the first, or maybe it made me have be on the first, the first place, the first time I, 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 I ran it. And, you know, it was funny that I was in Wild World of Sports, ABC Wild World of Sports was out filming all this stuff. And uh, so uh, uh, Jim Lampley, he was journalist sports, yes. He was out there and it was at the start. So, so he says, so why are you doing this? I said, why do you ask? And he says, he says, well, because I have to explain to people in um, the Midwest why people are dumb enough to do this. I said, so will you explain to me why you are dumb enough to come out there in a three-piece suit and, and a white shirt and a tie in the middle of the boonies where it's 108 degrees and dust? We don't understand that here in Northern California. And, and so he would say, so are you going to win tomorrow? And I said, I'm going to do my best. And he says, oh, come on, are you going to win tomorrow? And I said, I will put one foot in front of the other. And if I'm first over the finish line, I have won. Okay, girl, you just be giving me that bull crap. And I said, no, because I wasn't going to live under that kind of a stress. And so then, then he turned to my competitor and he says, so are you going to win tomorrow? And she says, yes, I am. And I thought, well, I may have something to say about that to myself. I said that I won. But she was living with the stresses. And that's what I always tell my the, the, the runners that I train and mentor. I say, first of all, thing, you will smile going over the finish line. Whether you feel like hell, you will smile because that picture is going to be taken and you're going to be live with that for the rest of your life. And, and uh, you will not put any stress on you. You're going to be the best that you can. And you will start a race slow. That's why I always said, go for the first 50 comfortably because you can't, it's not as easily runnable as the last 50 of the Western States because then you're going to need your legs. So, so let, let it go through as easily as you can and not tap too much. You're going to be comfortable and then you're going to give it in again. So I was always best in the end because I had run so many miles on my body, my body knew and um, my crew 
my crew was great, my family, my kids and my husband. And, and, and they would always try and get food in because getting calories in the last 50, you don't want to see any food. You don't want, you're fighting and you know that they know you have to get something calories in uh, or you're going to crash. And so they would work with other runner crew and they would send them year after year, same people because we were doing the same speed. And they would be friends with them. And then they would they would see, they would go to, to the other crew and said, what do you have? Maybe there's something that my runner, my mom could use the, because we've gone through all that she doesn't want to take in anymore. She's seen it all day long. And you can have anything that we have to give to your runner. So, so they become friends. So that was a good, and of course now there are so many rules you can't, they tell you when to breathe. You you put uh, you know your toe an inch over the line for when you're leaving an aid station. They disqualify you, and it's it's sad the way they take. And it used to be pioneering where everybody was helping everybody. My my family would take out pesos that had been running uh, that had been run into the ground, not by me but other runners, and help them out and and feed them and and give them water or whatever they needed. But now it's it's just so restricted. I don't know. What did you like to eat? If you had a chance to, if you wanted to eat, what was your favorite? Actually, it, it depends. My husband would, <laughs> my husband would make me strawberry crepes at Michigan Bluff. That's about almost a half my mark. He would make it there warm and he would feel it. anything that you could stick into your mouth and swallow. That's what it's like. So they had all the fruits, all the vegetables, all the fruits and all the berries they could possibly have. And everything was always on ice because your natural running temperature may be 103 and you have 108 degrees on top of that. And it's dusty and it's hot. And um, so any liquid that you can possibly get in, but they would have a whole, and I swear my husband and my kids would the, had the best aid stations because they had, a, they had it all set up. And then when my husband ran, he would ask for a hamburger at 50 miles. So, I mean, you never know whatever you, you can. And his ad- advice when people ask, what do you eat? And he would say, go out and put your body on a real stretch and ask yourself, what do I really want to eat? Because that's probably what your body can take. Otherwise, you know, it shuts down. And, you know, you, you, the, as I said, the further out you get, the further out into the last 50 miles, whatever you can get in. And would you, you would just take a bite and you would leave it in your cheek. And then you would just feel liquid into it. And then it would drain into your stomach. You wouldn't eat. You might have, I don't know, Maybe, maybe I, I said you may have a croissant, for instance, and you can have whatever you want to have. You may have, I don't know, ham and cheese croissant, and you may take one bite and just leave it in your cheek, and then then go out, and then it, it would drain into your stomach. You couldn't keep on eating. You don't eat meals. You just have a bite, and then you go on, and you may have another bite and whatnot. That's how you how you work. So were you aware that you were kind of trailblazing and making history at the time when you were entering these kind of races? No, no, I didn't know. I, it, no, I didn't. It was all, I was doing it for my own survival because I wasn't working. I was a stay-at-home mom and I, I felt I needed to do something for me because I felt my, my brain was dying. I needed something for me that, that, so it just turned out that way I just no I, I didn't know but I, I I was pleased when people would come out and maybe I encourage somebody else 
to do that it was okay and and I think that is one of my greatest pleasure that I could do that I mean incur and I you know I, I now too any I'll encourage anybody to I had I, I had a, a, a woman and she was a religious very religious person so she was in here I mean we live in it up here uh, it's really hot I mean 105 is normal for us in the summer and so we out on the trail and she was running the American River 15 she gets could you give me some advice and I said yeah I will and so I, I told her what to eat and, and she was wearing all these clothes where he had tights on and a long dress on top of that and long sleeve and whatnot and, and covered. And I said, could you take some off? He said, my, my husband is a pastor in the church. No, I cannot. And I said, okay. <clears throat> so I said, well, you know, put a, put a, make sure you put a towel in your ice chest. And when you come to an aid station, take that towel and put it on top of you and, and, and wash everything down. Stay on your quads, but make sure on the inside of your legs so you don't chafe, but cool your body down. And she said, how do you want me to train? And I said, I want you to go out and do a 30-30, uh, and a 30 mile on a Saturday, uh, 35 on a Saturday and, and a 30 on a Sunday. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. It's the only person ever who said, I'll do it. And, and so I got a message back from her, her one word, ouch. I thought, yes, now you know. And I saw her afterwards after she had finished the race. And I said, how was it? And she said, thank God for what you told me because she said, if it, I didn't know how tough it was going to be. And she said, if I hadn't done that 35-30, like, like you told me to, I would never have finished. I said, yeah, I was nice to you. I was going to have 30-35 next. So, so you need to find out how tough it really is and die in training and know because it's mental. So this is kind of a rewind question. Okay. I was thinking about this. When did you come to the U.S.? Why? Well, I had, I had gone to school in Cambridge in England and study English because I was told I would never be able to speak English. <laughs> and so anyway, so I, there were some tourists that I had then taken around Europe as a, as a private guide through Europe. I hated them. <clears throat> because, I'll tell you why. I, I, it's not because it was the attitude, because they were old Americans. They thought they knew what Europe was like. They didn't have an open mind of seeing what we were really like. So they were the ones who said, well, if I haven't been to every capital in Europe, I haven't seen the country. Well, and also, you know, the ones who brought their dollar with them and, and we would give them what you thought that Europe was like because you were willing to pay for it. That's not who we were like. So I took them to the boonies. And, and East Germany, and they, they saw people who looked, uh, and their children looked behind their, their parents' apron and saying, they're Americans and they look like us? Because they have heard me, thought that many people look like they were from outer space or something. And, and these people, these Americans, they had seen everything through their camera. They had 10,000 slides. They had, they had no idea where they were. And so they had written in a diary and such and such a slide, there must have been so. So they, they didn't like me and I didn't like them. And so when we were done, they said, we would like to come you to the US, we were your sponsors. And I said, if you have the guts to offer that to me, I have the guts 
to take you up on it so I can go to America and I see if Americans are really like what you, what I see rather than we see if the young people, if they are different, if they're more willing, they're more willing to learn about us like I want to be learning about them. And so I got, oh, I, I applied for, <laughs> I applied for a visa and I got to the embassy in, in Oslo and the, the assistant ambassador and he says, okay, so what are you going to do when you get over there? And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to be a masseuse. And he says, we have too many of those. We don't need any more. I didn't realize that because masseuse in, in, in Europe is a physical therapist. Well, over here is a prostitute. And so, and after an hour and a half, and he says, lady, you will survive. We'll give it to you. And so I come up and even then I hadn't told my parents I was leaving and they said, are you leaving? And I said, I don't know. If the ship leaves and I'm on it, then I'm gone. And if, if it, if, you know, if, if it leaves and I'm coming home, I, I haven't decided yet. So I went to the ship and I thought, well, should I go or should I stay? I don't know. So I went on the ship and decided to go home and come over here and see what the Americans were like. And I had an agreement with my mother that if I would come home within two years, I could do whatever I wanted to. And I said, I'd like to go to Paris instead of that Savon. And he said, okay. And so, well, I stayed. And I, 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 my whole life story, people want me to write a book about my life, what I've done. They've tried to kidnap me twice in London when I was there. The last, as a matter of fact, two weeks, two, two years ago, I decided to pack a backpack, I packed 25 pound backpack, hopped on a plane to Paris by myself and then off to Biarritz and then I went into Spain and then I walked the Camino del Norte from the border of Spain and, and France to the Atlantic Ocean. It's all along the Bay of Biscay, it's all along the ocean. It's 511 miles, I carry 25 pounds on my back and stayed in hostels. Took me 33 days, I did a 15 to 20 miles a day. And that was a wonderful experience. And then I thought, well, I had an airline ticket. I was going to be gone for two months. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I thought, okay, let me get in my little phone here and see what, what I can do. Let me do the bucket list. So I went to the bucket list and I said, oh, I always want to go to Greece. Also, I got an Airbnb and an airline ticket and I head on to, to Greece. Well, I didn't have any money because uh, my credit card, somebody in this country had tried to uh, do defraud, put $1,200 on my uh, credit card. So the bank stopped anything. So I had no money. I had I had a thousand euros. That was it. And uh, so anyway, so I stayed in Athens for, it was wonderful, in an Airbnb. I hopped all, I went all over, you know, all over town. And then I went on the subway and decided one day, I said, okay, let me go out to the beach. Well, I took the subway to the end and then there wasn't any beach. And I thought, well, there were some young people on board and they looked like they have a big tote bag. Uh, maybe they know where the beach is. So I followed them. Well, they went on a big ship. I said, okay, I went on a big ship. And an hour and a half later, I ended up in an island in the Mediterranean. <laughs> oh, it's a new wonderful beaches. So I stayed there. And then I hopped back on the ferry, boat back, ship back on it, and back to Athens. And then I went, was going to go to bus, uh, to back to Santiago in Spain because I was going to go fly to Egypt. And then I was uh, looking at my sitting on a plane going from Athens to Barcelona. And it turns out, the wrong day I'm supposed to be going to Egypt I'm going in the wrong direction so I hopped off the plane 
And I went, I said, I need to find a plane to go to Cairo. And they said, nope, ours was just canceled. You can't get there. And they looked at us said, we have one, but it costs you a thousand euros. And I said, don't have the money. Well, I guess I'll sleep on a bench at the, at the airport in Barcelona. So I... So then I managed to get the last minute. I, I managed to get on. I went to get to get the Egyptian pound, and and the 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 guy at the exchange he said, "How long are you going to be gone? Be gone to Egypt?" And I said, eight days." He says, 4,000 euros. You're not going to make it, honey." I said, "I only have eight hundred uh, that I managed to get," and he said, "You're not going to come out alive." And I said, "Well." I don't have any money, so what am I going to do? So I'm I'm going to have to. So I got into uh, and I stayed in 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 a place that uh, it it was pretty bad, but you know I deal with it because I couldn't afford anything else. So I had told them I said, look, I what am I, I want to sightsee? They said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And I said. Okay, so I handled whatever money I had, and 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 so they said, be ready in such and such an hour. And I said, okay, where am I going? So that they said the taxi is downstairs, and I said, okay. So I went in the taxi. I went drove around in the place, and they come out there, and we get out of the out of the taxi, and uh, I signed my life away on something. I must say, I was like, what what's happening? What am I going to do? And they came out, and I said, there's your camel. I said, this my camel. And I said, yeah. So I said, okay. So I, I took a camel and we walked through the Sahara to the pyramids. I, it was wonderful. There were no people out there. It was just me and the camel and the guide. And it was great. And then we said, we have to hurry back. And I said, why well, we have to hurry back? Well, you have to go to the ship. And I said, what ship? And I'm going to go on the ship. And they said, yeah. I said, okay. So I packed, you know, a little bag, but this much in. And I thought, okay. So I went on the ship and I, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have a Wi-Fi. I, I didn't realize that I was going to be on the ship for four days. I went down the Nile on the ship for four days. My, my family was calling all over Europe, like, where is she? I mean, she is going to be lost. So anyway, so I saw all the sites of, of, of Egypt. They were absolutely wonderful. And then I went back and then I was supposed to meet my family. I, I flew to, to Milan in, in Italy and then we went to, to uh, Sermignone and I stayed there for three days at the end of the Alps. I had a wonderful time. Then I flew to Paris and then I stayed there for a few days. It was wonderful and Airbnb. And then I flew home. I was gone for two months by myself with no money. And it was absolutely exciting. And unfortunately, in 20, we couldn't fly anywhere. So now I'm like, where am I going to do next? I don't know. I want we're, to go. I think we're all like that, right? In Africa, maybe, <laughs> or somewhere else. Adventure. You know, life you is too short. Yeah. Do you think that sense of adventure kind of led you to trail running a little bit? Yeah, because I'm talking to people out here and they said, oh, because, I, you know, at the end of my life, I'm, I don't want to say I wish I had. So I, and I'm trying to encourage people to go out and try something. I mean, they said, oh, I wish we, I could have done. I said, why couldn't you? Like, why couldn't you run? Why can't you do, you know, whatever, go and adventure or take off by yourself or, you know, you know, maybe I go sit on the beach underneath the Palapa with four margaritas in each hand or something. I don't know, you know, something. Yeah. So looking, yeah. So looking back, what accomplishment are you the proudest of? Well, I, I never think of it that way. I, I, I never think of it that way. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just did. I mean, 
Yes. <laughs> That's a good answer. I, I'm not, obviously not normal. I'm not normal. But, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm normal and the rest of the world is not. But, you know, I, you, you, the older you are, I say, I'm looking at, I mean, I have a toe in the grave, so I'm looking at a hundred. I mean, so it's, it's like, you might as well try it. I mean, you live, you realize you've got to live the good life. And so try something else. And I'll, and, you know, women do whatever they want to do. They need to, to get the courage to go in and do something and the experiences. I want to feel life pulse on the life and to feel like really live rather than just exist. I know the answer to this, but are you still running? Every day. I mean, I, and as, as a matter of fact, I, I, I live here. I have I, on a 20 acre, we have a farm here and I have a driveway, my uh, driveway that's half a mile. And I have a section of the driveway. It's a 19 de uh, degrees uh, grade and I have a hundred meter at 10. So when I, tr when it's muddy or when it's raining, you run the driveway and you do that 10 times. Now you've done 10 miles. And, and so when I train other runners and I said, okay, go and hit it full up, full down. You don't get to walk the down. You go full up and full down. And I'll sit on top with a glass of wine and say, do it again. And uh, you know, that's, that's what you do. I, do you I train every day because it, 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 it makes you healthy. It, it keeps you healthy. I, I don't believe in sitting in a rocking chair and waiting to die. What do you like about training and coaching runners? I like to help. I like to help. I, and, I, and I love, I love, I'm, I'm a problem solver. I like problems to solve, but gotta be, how can we be better? I mean, you're never satisfied. The day you're satisfied, you're going backwards and, and, and you're giving up. How can it be better? I mean, obviously now I, I, it's like, I, I remember six minute miles. I can used to run six minute miles. And, and, I, and my mind, my head remembers and my body says, are you kidding me? There is no way that you're gonna do at this stage what it is, but at least it's forward movement. That is perfect. So you have to accept the fact that, that you are not what you used to be, you know, and that's okay. And yes, I go out every day. And, I, and as I said, I talk to people out there and, and they ask questions and they, now they get to know who I am and whatnot. And so then I, they'll take me seriously maybe and, and maybe for what works for them, uh, different options that they could do. So the, and again, when I mentor and train, I, I try to give them as much information as I can because you, I, if you're out there and they, and they, get into a place where they're, they are uncertain or uncomfortable ever, I say, it's okay, because I have warned them, it may happen to you, that's okay. It's nothing to be afraid of. And, and, and that, that makes me happy. And when they come back and they are satisfied and they enjoyed it. And then I ran into a man a while back and I was, I was down on the trail and a, and a truck came right down and he, <clears throat> and there was a man and I was on the driver's side. I was at least a hundred feet away from him. And, uh, and he was driving slowly and stopped the car and he called out and said, what's your name? And I told him what my name is. And he stopped the car and he jumped out and he said, I have to come over and thank you. And I said, I said, what for? And he says, I ran an ultra and I had bonked 
and you were up there at an aid station. You were helping apparently a friend and you had an aid station there and I wanted to give up and he says, you wouldn't let me. He said, you aided me and you give, gave me advice and you cheered me on. And he said, I finished the race. And, and he says, I have now run six 100 mile races. I, I, I said, I think of you often because of your spirit and the, the advice and the things that you gave me that I can continue to run. And I'm so grateful. And that makes me happy that I could help somebody. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time today. I could listen to you for like three more hours, I think. Is there anything else you would like to add? Any advice to women runners? Anything else that you might want to just say? Yeah, yes. Uh, and I, as I said, I'm willing to talk to anybody and just cheer them on. It makes me happy, you know, if, if whatever they encounter or ever to cheer them on and, and aid them or whatever it is. It's, uh, it's, and when you talk to now, I was uh, inducted into Runners Hall of Fame in 17, and you, then you're looking at those young people, and they have no idea about the development that the, that the women weren't always had the right to run or to do anything physical, which, which just shocks them, that the history that they don't realize that you know, there, there was a time that we fought that. And fortunately, I had support of my family. My family supported any kind of wild things they back him up with, which, you know, he they never put a, a, a limit on me. They, they were there to support me. And, and, and my kids, my little kids, they would say, Mom, uh, when you read in the paper and they says, oh, she's done. I mean, she's horrible. She did not do well at all. She's, you know, all is over. And my, my kids would say, mom, you're better than that. And then when they say, oh, you're invincible, my, my kids said, but mom, you also have bad days. And so they keep you on an even, emotionally even keel. So you didn't that, because I, as I said, I, I, didn't run, I, I ran in there in the closet and, and did my stuff because, and this is another thing that I find with runners, I run into my head. A lot of them don't. And so I, I, I tell them, I said, when you run a race, I, and I would put a cap on and put my, the, the brim right by my eyes here so, so I am focused. And I'm focused inward and I ch or keep checking my body. Are there any twinges? I can change the balance. I can change something out anything but also I know what my limits are and and I can push out of the comfort zone for instance if you're running uphills and you know you're tapping and then afterwards you bring it back into that zone that you can tap on for days and you don't tap any energy out of it and and so you know that's what I like to to hand on off to them it's okay I run into my head and I check so I tell them put your head on and, and I always said, it's not a question who is first out of the start or in the middle. It's a, it's a question of who is first over the finish line. That is what your focus is going to be. And so just put, put yourself in that space and keep on going. And so when somebody would pass me, I kept thinking, I'll see you again. And I generally see them in the last 50. So, you know, it's it just calm. Don't get up. Don't get involved in all the chaos and all the stuff and that's going on. That energy you're going to need, you're going to need it in that 50, last 50 miles. Take it and use it and just know within yourself, you are within, within your mind or in your body that you can handle. That's what it is. Get to the and finish. So, I will say I'm a new mom. I've got, oh, like good. One, I've got a one and a half year old. And so your okay. story really like spoke to me 
what advice do you have for women who are trying to kind of juggle training and childcare and just life in general? <laughs> yeah, well, as I said, I, I got the, 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 the baby buggy and took them with me. And that's, that's what I did. And, you know, and I still remember the donuts that I said that from when they were growing up. And I said, don't go taste them now because they're probably, keep the memories of what you did. But there is no reason, because I had never ran before I had children because people were saying I had to quit running because I had children. No, take them with you. You know, in, 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 in the baby buggy out there, I've seen, take a bob. I have not been out with my grandkids. And now I have bobs. Take, the, take them and I have a good time then, you know, and you, and you teach them uh, to, to exercise whatever it is, running or baseball or whatever it is, you know, gym. I have a, it's running have, right now. <laughs> I have a granddaughter that's an incredible athlete. She's six. She's an incredible athlete. She's an incredible runner. She has a brother who is 10. She, she outruns him. She's six. Oh, she go down on the floor and does military 30 um, push-ups. He says, he says, Momo, come on down and, and we'll have a competition. I, I'm just watching what that child is going to do. That's unbelievable. But keep on doing, keep on running for yourself. And you need to do it for yourself, for you. Yes, take them with you. Great advice. Thank you again. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. This has been Starting Line 1928, an oral history project documenting the lived experiences of female distance running pioneers. We're honored to have received a 2022 Tracksmiths Fellowship for this work and are grateful to Tracksmiths for their support. Thanks also to our team of historians, our editor, Aaron Bryant, and our inspiration running historian, Gary Corbett. You can listen to these interviews anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you subscribed, you'll be sure to catch the next one as soon as it posts. You can also read written profiles of the pioneers on our website, startingline1928.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the next starting line. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.